We got four days before Gonzaga heads to Lexington to take on Kentucky, but they first have some business to take care of in Spokane against the Pilots. Can't call it a trap game if you don't fall for the trap. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Happy Wednesday, and welcome into the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Game Time. Folks, download the Game Time app, create an account, and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $20 off your first purchase. Well, we're going to preview tonight's game against the Portland Pilots. We're going to talk about what we want to see from the Zags in this game. And then we're going to close out the show talking about the Dartmouth basketball team. They are they have a quest to unionize. The National Labor Board has agreed with them. We're going to talk about what that means for them right now, what it might mean for college athletics and Gonzaga basketball in the future. But first, Zags got themselves what looks like a classic prototypical trap game on the calendar, February 7th, 5 p.m. Pacific time on the CBS Sports Network. Curious, don't know as I'm recording this if we will get to hear Dan Dickow back on the broadcast. We have not heard him in a long time, but he has done quite a few games for the CBS Sports Network, so we might get a chance to hear the former All-American back on the broadcast. The Zags, 43-2 and against UP since January of 2000. That is when the website for Gonzaga goes back and shows the history. I'm not trying to cherry pick a specific instance of what might have happened in 2000 that would have changed the trajectory of this program in particular, but that is that is the record for Gonzaga in that period of time. 20-1 and one at home, 22-1 and one on the road. Their last loss was 2014, and I had thought that they lost to Portland during that 2015-16 season that we've had to reference quite a bit more this year than I expected us to, as it was a similar situation where Gonzaga had to win in the WCC tournament in order to even make it to the NCAA tournament, and, and I remember they lost a handful of WCC games that year that they don't normally lose. I had thought that Portland was one of those games, but it turns out their loss to Portland was actually back in the 2013-14 season, I believe, or, or maybe 14-15. Either way, uh, it was prior to that period of time. Right now, Ken Palm doesn't Ken Palm doesn't do FanDuel lines or doesn't do betting lines, but they do do projections for the game. They are predicting a 91-66 to score in this one, which would be a 25-point Gonzaga victory. And it's partly because Portland's not very good. We're going to talk about where this Portland team is. Shante Leggins in his third year as the head coach of the Pilots. This team is 9-15 and 15 on the season right now. They are just 3-6 and six in conference play. Their best win of the season came in their opener. I was at that game to kick off the college basketball season, as you all remember. The Zags did not play until a few days into the season. Went out and watched them beat Long Beach State, Dan Monson's school currently at, at, in the Big West. Long Beach State went on to beat Michigan State. They went on to beat USC. Of course, neither of those programs have been all that good, but still some really quality wins for the 49ers. And to kick, to tip off the season, Portland managed to get a victory there. Other than that, they really don't have any other good non-conference wins. Riverside, Wyoming, North Dakota, their other wins in the non-conference were non-Division One opponents. Meanwhile, for losses, they got some ugly ones. Tennessee State, Portland State, crosstown rivals there, Air Force, North Dakota State. They lost to Hawaii. They lost to Massachusetts. They also lost to Temple. They also played Grand Canyon and Nevada. 
Not exactly a shocker what happened in those two games, both big losses. I think they gave up 108 to Nevada and Grand Canyon scored over 90 in them in that one as well. In the WCC, two of their three victories have come against Pacific. That doesn't exactly inspire a lot of confidence. Their other win is against Pepperdine. Meanwhile, they were swept by San Francisco. They lost to San Diego, St. Mary's, LMU, and Santa Clara. Ken Palm currently values Portland as the 298th ranked team in the country. 298th. Pacific is demonstrably worse than that. They've been on a really horrendous year so far, but Portland is not getting as much attention for the preseason expectations, which didn't have them in that top five conversation with Santa Clara and LMU and and San Francisco and, and of course, Gonzaga and St. Mary's, but they were kind of on an island in sixth. We thought, okay, they're better than Pepperdine. They're better than San Diego. They're better than Pacific. They're not quite in the top five. They're kind of right in the middle. They haven't been. They haven't been at all. And it's mostly on the defensive end of the floor. Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency has them 227th. Meanwhile, adjusted defensive efficiency, 335th. Yikes. They also played a decently fast tempo, 92nd, which is part of the reason scores have been getting run up on them in a major way this year. But frankly, they're just one of the worst defensive teams in the country. The metrics, the eye test pretty clearly support the notion that UP is one of the worst defensive teams not just in the WCC, not just on the West Coast, in the entire country. They're averaging, they're giving up 80.2 points per game. Opposing teams on two-pointers are shooting about 54%. On threes, they are shooting 37%. This team is getting torched. All of those marks are among the 30 worst in all of Division I college basketball. Out of the 361 teams, all of those marks are among the bottom 30, statistically. Opponent's effective field goal percentage, according to Ken Palm, is 55.1. That is 352nd. So that's a top 10 worst opposing effective field goal percentage in the entire country for the Portland Pilots this year. They're not generating any turnovers. They're not forcing any tough shots. This is not a good defensive team. There's really no other possible way to spin this. They do have a decent offense, though mostly because they have shooters. They're shooting about 35% from three as a team. They average 9.1 makes per game and 25.8 attempts per game. From a makes and attempts perspective, they're top 50 in the country, 46th in the country in three-point attempts per game, 41st in the country in makes per game. Their 35% is a slightly above average as well. This team is going to chuck up a bunch of shots. Not going to play a lot of defense, not going to force a lot of turnovers, but they are going to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. That is what we are going to see. They're also a decently effective team from two-pointers as well, but they just don't take very many of them. Most of the points that they do get on two-pointers are out in transition because if they're in their half-court offense, they're looking to get a three, baby. They aren't looking to get the ball down on the block. They don't have anybody down there who's going to score. So so that, that number is a bit misleading because I think most of those points aren't coming uh, in half-court sets. They also turn the ball over a ton. They don't force a lot of turnovers, but they average about 13 turnovers per game themselves. Uh, so good opportunities for Gonzaga to, to kind of capitalize on their ability to run and get out in transition and, and, and outrun them as well. Tyler Robertson is back. He's the name to keep an eye on for the Zags. Uh, if you've been watching WCC basketball for a while, if you've been watching Eastern Washington basketball, it feels like Tyler Robertson is in his seventh, eighth, ninth year of college basketball. He has been around for a really long time. He's back. He's killing it again. He's going to be on the all WCC team, probably the first team, if not definitely the second team, 16 and a half points per game for him, a little under four assists, a little under four boards 
and a steal, shooting about 36% from three. The new name, though, for fans to keep an eye on is Tyler Harris. And for those of you who watched the San Diego game and thought, wow, that Kevin Patton is good. Six foot eight guard, good rebounder, good shot blocker, just kind of an, an, a jumbo sized guard that you don't often see in the WCC. Tyler Harris is basically just a slightly better version of that. He has been incredible this year. I've seen him showing up on mock drafts. He's showing up on top 100 big boards, like towards the bottom, but like he's a name that is starting to get attention from NBA draft personnel. This very rarely happens to non-Gonzaga, non-St. Mary's, to an extent, non-Santa Clara, especially now teams. It's very rare for this to happen. But Tyler Harris has put himself in that conversation. He's six foot eight. He's very wiry. He's very long and lanky. He's averaging about 12 points per game. He's also averaging seven rebounds per game as a guard, a little over one assist. He's shooting 37% from three. That's what it is. Six foot eight guard who can rebound and shoot threes. It's not a surprise he's starting to get some of that interest. He could be a problem for Gonzaga from a matchup perspective in this one. I think Dusty Stromer is going to get a lot of chances to guard him. I think I'd be curious if they put Ben Gregg or if they just put Anton Watson on him as a kind of a way to try to shut him down. Uh, because if he gets going, that could be a bit of a problem for Gonzaga. They have a couple other shooters on this roster as well. Vukasin Masic. 13 points per game. He's shooting about 42% from three. Juanse Gorosito coming off the bench. Their backup point guard, about eight points per game. Shoots 37.5% from three. And then Chris Austin, who missed all of last year with an injury. He was a really big part of this team two years ago. Kind of expected that he'd come back into the mix and and, and really be a valuable piece. He's, he's had a disappointing season. Has been relegated to the bench after starting to begin the year. Hasn't done much with the playing time he's got. But he is still averaging 7.5 points per game. He is shooting about 40% from three. So like I said, they got some dudes who can light it up and they're going to take a bunch of shots. They're going to shoot a bunch of threes and they got guys who can make them, but they also have zero interior presence. They don't have any size. They have two, six foot 10 guys. They have a combined seven blocks on the season. They both play. They're both in the rotation, both play about 13, 14 minutes per game. But those two guys combined have seven blocks. They're not protecting the rim. They're not shot blockers. They also don't play all that much. The guy who's, who spends the majority of the time in the front court for this team is Alamami Coroma. He's a transfer from Cal Poly. Uh, he's decent, about 10 points, got four boards per game, but he doesn't block shots either. He's also only six foot eight. So there's just not an interior presence on this Portland roster. That's why they space the floor. That's why they shoot a lot of threes. That's also why they're not very good defensively. And that's why it seems like this is a really good matchup for the Zags. But... They still have to take care of business. And we're going to discuss what that might look like after a word from today's sponsored Game Time. What would you do with an extra $100 if you were in Las Vegas for the big game? Maybe you're going to go to the Gator at the New Orleans Arena. If you know, you know. If you've been to WCC Tournament, there's lots of great options with an extra 100 bucks in Las Vegas. And that does not have to just be a what if. That can be your reality if you're buying a big game ticket from Game Time using code VEGAS100. GameTime is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for all of the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee. GameTime takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. And we're just, we're only a week away, a week away from the Super Bowl. GameTime is a great place to get those tickets. You can also get tickets to the upcoming WCC tournament if you are trying to find another trip out to Las Vegas. GameTime is perfect for those types of events. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Right now, all GameTime users get $100 off a big game ticket with code VEGAS100. Just download the GameTime app, use code VEGAS100 for $100 off a Super Bowl ticket. Or if you're not going to the game, use code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. 
Terms do apply. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Right, folks, still in Patton, still locked on Zags podcast, and we're still getting y'all ready for Wednesday night's battle against Shante Leggins and the Portland Pilots at the McCarthy Athletic Center, 5 p.m. Pacific time tip-off for that one. And I want to talk about our five keys to a victory, five things we're hoping to see from the Zags in this contest, as we've been doing throughout this entire season. And, and key number one, we talked about it right off the top of the show, got to avoid a trap game. Everybody's thinking about Kentucky. I'm thinking about Kentucky. You're thinking about Kentucky. Mark Few is thinking about Kentucky, the players, the fans, the students. But you cannot let that distract you from what you got right in front of you. Gonzaga faced this last week. They had LMU on Tuesday. They had St. Mary's coming in the house on Saturday. They obliterated LMU, their best all-around performance of the entire season. We know they're capable of not falling victim to a trap game. But there is a difference between hosting St. Mary's and going on the road to play Kentucky. It is a a new venue, a new environment, a new opponent, a blue blood, like one of the most you, you dream about playing Kentucky when you're a kid. Like it is a different feel as a Gonzaga basketball player, as a college basketball player, to know that you're about to go play at Rupp Arena. You're about to go play the Wildcats. You're about to go play and and hopefully beat the bluest blue blood that basically exists outside of Duke, maybe Kansas, maybe Carolina. They're right in that conversation. This is a young team. This is a young, relatively inexperienced team. I'm not worried about Anton Watson looking past the Portland Pilots on Wednesday. It's more of a concern for a Dusty Stromer, for Braden Huff, for those guys who haven't been in this environment to be thinking about that instead of thinking about the game at hand. Maybe they're not as worried about Portland because they also know the Ken Palm data. They listen to the show. They know the situation they're running into with this team's defense. But you have to be ready for this. Portland is not great, but Shante can coach. They will have a game plan. They will go out and attempt to execute that game plan. You have to be ready. Mark Few has done a very good job historically of preventing teams from falling victim to trap games. This is not something that typically trips up Gonzaga. But this is a new, young roster. Things that haven't been a problem for Gonzaga in the past have been a problem this year. This is a situation where this team needs to be careful. And the coaching staff needs to really emphasize, we take things one game at a time, and we mean that. Our flight to Kentucky is not until Friday or Thursday, whenever that is. It's not tonight, though. So you got to take care of business tonight. Get yourself another W. Get right. Get ready. And then we'll go to Rupp Arena after that. But right now, it is all about the Portland Pilots. Key number two, it's been a key in pretty much every single game, but it is more so emphasized in this one, Grammy K. Grammy K, early Grammy K, often Grammy K for the whole 40 minutes, or as many minutes as he's going to play. Hopefully, he didn't play a full 40. They don't need him to be doing that in this one. But there's no reason to not give Grammy K the ball just immediately. You can try to run your offense. We'll talk about the pick and roll here momentarily and get some of those short rolls and, and kind of get more comfortable and familiar with that offense that they've been running, particularly because Kentucky is not very good at defending the pick and roll. But also you can just go down the, the floor and just toss the ball. Like this team is not going to be able to stop that. They don't have the size. They don't have the shot blockers. They don't have the strength. Grammy K should be able to score pretty much at will in this game. Now, 
Portland might double him. I don't know what their strategy is going to be there. It's been interesting to see how certain teams have attempted to handle Graham E.K. with immediate doubles, with delayed double teams, without double teams. They've all done it a little bit differently. I would think for Portland, it would probably make some sense to double him immediately, get the ball out of his hands, force somebody else to beat you. If that's the case, let's see some development for Graham E.K. from a passing perspective. Let's see some development from Gonzaga's offense in terms of moving without the ball, getting some open looks with him having to get rid of the basketball. But it's got to start by you just throwing the ball to Graham and let him go to work. Because if they don't stop him, if they don't double team him, he could score 25 easily. He could score 30 in this one. If he doesn't get in foul trouble, just let him go to work. There's not anybody on that team who's really capable of stopping him, particularly not in a one-on-one situation. Key number three, we touched on it already. Perfect the pick and roll. I want to perfect the pick and roll with all three guards, all three of them, because Nolan Hickman looked outstanding running the pick and roll offense against LMU last week. None of them looked good against doing it against St. Mary's. That's a really good defensive team. It just wasn't the offense that that was going to work in that game. They got some decent looks around the rim. Ryan Nemhard was, was really good in getting into that mid post area and hitting some jump shots there. He had a fantastic game. We didn't get to talk about Nemhard's performance as much uh, because it was overshadowed by the everything else that happened on Saturday against the Gales. But uh, Nolan Hickman was great on Tuesday. Ryan Nemhard was great on Saturday kind of in the pick and roll. I want to see them continue to grow. Portland's not going to be able to stop it. They don't have the personnel for it. I want to see them running that pick and roll a little closer to the basket, the short roll with Graham E.K., the quick lobs over the top, the little bounce passes into the paint, all that stuff that we saw on Tuesday that we've seen throughout the year. I want to see more of that. I want to see both Hickman and Nemhard running it. If they go under on Nemhard, I want to see him take some shots. The timing the pain, you know, it has to be the right time. If the Zags are really struggling and they, you know, have not shot well from three, don't be hacking up threes with 18 seconds left on the shot clock. But if the situation is right, and again, Portland has struggled to defend the perimeter this year, I want to see Nemhard getting more confident of like, hey, I will beat you if you go under on these screens. I will take this three-point shot, or if they run it a little closer, take that 15-footer. That's a good shot for Ryan Nemhard. I'm completely content with him taking that shot if it's uncontested. I also want to see Luka Krinovich in the game. I want to see a lot of Luca in this game. I'd love to see him get 10 minutes, 12 minutes, perhaps. Some in the first half, the whole last 10 minutes of the second half. That'd be a phenomenal. Obviously, the Zags need to put themselves in a position where they're comfortable with that. But Mark Few has said that Luka Krinovich is going to play a rotation role. They're going to utilize him to give rest to Nolan Hickman, to Ryan Nembhard. Then you got to get him acclimated. This is a game to do it. Get him in there, get him running the pick and roll, get him situated, fluid, feeling comfortable with the offense. Let's see how he does on defense. UP's got good guards. Can he handle those guys defensively? Is he getting worked on the defensive end of the floor? Because if so, you probably can't play him against Kentucky. But this is a game to learn that, to get that familiarity with what he can do on both ends of the floor and get him more comfortable and set up in this offense so that he can be a bigger contributor for this team down the stretch. Key number four, this is a confidence-building opportunity for both Braden Huff and Dusty Stromer. We talked about them being potential players who might look ahead to the big bright lights of Rupp Arena on Saturday. This is a game for them to build that confidence. Braden Huff looked very bad against St. Mary's on Saturday. There's not any other way to to put it. He gave up like something like six to eight points in like a 90-second span when he came into the game. Mark Few knew it was going to happen. He tried to play Graham E.K. as long as he possibly could. Braden came in and got pushed around by Mitchell Saxon. There ain't nobody on Portland who's going to do that to him. So he needs to come into this game. He needs to have that swagger, have that confidence, 
have that offensive impact where he's immediately looking to shoot the basketball, where he's finding the ball, he's getting open looks, he's scoring over the top, he can you know, pour 12, 14, 18 points down in like a 15, 20-minute period. Remember, he did that a whole bunch early in the season. It's not unprecedented for him at all. I want to see him take strides defensively. Again, he's not going to get tested the way Mitchell Saxon tested him, but he obviously has work to do on that end of the floor. Building his confidence defensively while getting him some easy touches around the rim feels like a big win for Gonzaga in this game. Dusty Stromer, similar thing. He didn't struggle as much against St. Mary's, but that was a tough matchup for him as well. Can he get some open looks from three to get his confidence continued to be boosted offensively? Can he get some steals on defense and get out in transition and score some points in front of the kennel? Like There are great opportunities for both these guys to have really good performances and feel a little bit more confident going into a game against Kentucky where they're both going to play and they're both going to be needed. They cannot struggle in that game against Kentucky if the Zags want to pull off a victory against the Wildcats. And number five, let's empty the bench. Let's get, get some of these guys out that we haven't seen a lot of. In particular, let's see some more of Jun Sukyo. We just haven't seen much of him lately. He has been fully out of Gonzaga's rotation. This is an opportunity, again, for him to get some more reps, get some more experience, get more comfortable. Everything he learns and practices, everything that he is he's working to improve upon, the best way to get better at that stuff is game reps. That's how you improve. Everybody knows this. But Mark Few hasn't, he hasn't earned that those minutes from Mark Few. And watching him, I can understand why. You can see that he's still, you know, lost a little bit defensively, that he's still finding out when to take good shots, when not to. He has made strides, and I think he has earned more playing time. And hopefully this is a game where we get to see that from him. We get to see some of his growth. We get to see him make a big impact offensively and score some points on offense. Always love when we get to see Pavlai Stosic come into the game. It's usually at the very, very end, but he's given us some, some good minutes throughout the year. We'd like to see him uh, get a few more quality minutes here. And this one, of course, Joe Few, Colby Brooks, always fun to get those guys some playing time, get some rest for Nemhard and Hickman and Watson and, and all the other starters because they're going to need to be as close to 100% as they can possibly be for that game on Saturday against Kentucky. Well, we're going to switch gears entirely here and talk about the Dartmouth basketball team as they get a chance to vote on whether to join a union. It is a potentially massive development, completely altering development in college athletics. We're going to talk more about what that means. But first, I want to tell you all about today's sponsor, FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl week to those of you who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seats on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and now placing some super bets. And FanDuel has so many different ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, where currently the 49ers are favored by two and a half points, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so, so much more. New customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more is a win. So just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, folks, closing out the show today with a completely different direction on a big storyline that is happening somewhat behind the scenes in college athletics that I wanted to bring out to the forefront here. It's been talked about uh, ever since the, the National Labor Review Board issued a ruling. The Dartmouth men's basketball players, back in September, they had a petition filed 
with the National Labor Review Board to discuss their status as employees at Dartmouth University. The board issued a ruling that came out, I believe it was on Monday of this week, stating that these players should be classified as university employees and that they can elect to form a union. If this sounds familiar, this is the same step that the Northwestern football team got to back in 2015. At that time, when Northwestern's football players got a National Labor Review Board to agree that, yes, they should be unionized, and they went to do the union process, Northwestern appealed, as everybody expected them to do, and ultimately they determined, after, after an appeal, the National Board decided to not make a ruling. They didn't rule yes, they didn't rule no, they opted not to make a ruling. Basically, it's because the National Labor Review Board, the NLRB, only has jurisdiction over private schools. They cannot make decisions that impact publicly funded universities, like the vast majority of big money institutions in college athletics, the Alabamas, the Oregons, et cetera, et cetera, those teams. So because the national board determined they could not make a ruling that would impact those schools, they decided not to make a ruling. Of course, Northwestern's the only private school in the Big Ten, so they knew that that was going to be a, a potential impact at that time. Right now, Dartmouth has already decided that they are going to appeal this case, as expected. Everybody expected that Dartmouth was going to appeal this case. So what does this mean? Well, the appeal process is probably going to go all the way to the Supreme Court. This is going to take years, years, four, five, six years before this thing is finally determined. That is the expectation anyway. The Supreme Court, very likely to take it. They love getting involved in athletics when they can. It's good publicity for them. Uh, it spurns a lot of debate, conversation. If they can get involved in college athletics, you bet that they're going to get themselves involved in college athletics. What does it mean if it stands? And again, knowing that it did not stand last time that Northwestern attempted to do this because the labor board, I'll say it, chickened out on making a vote. They decided hey, we're just going to wash our hands of this and not make any vote here at all. If it stands, amateurism, as it currently is constructed in the NCAA, gone. The amateurism era, the model that the NCAA has been based upon forever, is gone. It's over. It's done. That's if this stands. What would happen at that point effectively is that all private school Division I athletes could immediately claim employee status and unionize. I say immediately. That's, that's maybe a bit misleading. This specific ruling only applies to Dartmouth. But it would stand to reason that other public private schools would immediately be granted that same kind of ability just because they know that they, if they went through the same process, they would get granted the same way. Likely what would happen from there is that public schools who don't have that same backing from the NLRB would likely be granted the ability to unionize and become employees by the NCAA because the NCAA is not going to have a situation where private schools can make their uh, student athletes employees and public schools cannot. That is a nightmare situation for the NCAA. They're just going to blanket it all and say, look, if if the NLRB and if the Supreme Court and whoever has determined that private school student athletes are now employees at their schools, we're just going to make that the case for everybody. So that's what would happen. And again, as a reminder here, this is not just salary and wages. Obviously, that is the biggest part of it, is that student athletes would then have salaries. They would be paid as direct employees of the university. But it also includes things like workman's comp. That is a situation that would be very unique. Health benefits. 
that, I mean, schools have typically paid for student athletes when they have health issues. I have close friends who are athletic trainers. I understand that that is, you know, they don't make them pay for that stuff out of pocket, but it still creates a much different dichotomy and dynamic if they have actual health benefits, if they have actual workman's comp. What does it mean for smaller sports? A lot of people are, are, are saying, oh, this is devastating for, for non-revenue generating sports. Not a lot of evidence that it necessarily would be damaging for those non-revenue sports. Uh, not, I mean, like those schools, you know, rowers and tennis players aren't making a lot of money in NIL, whereas football players and basketball players are making a ton of money in NIL. That's what's happening now. If we were to unionize and we were to create a situation where all Division I student athletes were employees, that still would probably be the case. The smaller sports wouldn't make as much money. The bigger sports would make more money. There's some concern that schools would would start canceling programs. There, a lot of the data I've read about that indicates that that doesn't seem particularly likely. There's that doesn't seem like the schools would necessarily need to do that. Obviously, Title IX will protect them from just slashing women's sports and not slashing on both sides. But the expectation is that that's not likely to be part of this scenario, even for the the people who are really concerned about this, it doesn't seem particularly likely that that will be the case. Obviously, we're still talking years down the line. So any anybody who's hearing this, who's who's learning about this for the first time, who's thinking, oh, what does this mean? We don't really know. We don't really know. This is not going to happen for a while. For Gonzaga, it's hard to say whether this is better or worse. Obviously, Gonzaga is a private school. So were the NLRB, were, were this to go all the way to the Supreme Court or whatever step it ultimately gets to, and it were to be passed, it were to stand, Gonzaga student-athletes would very likely become employees of the university and would have the ability to unionize. If they were still in the WCC at this time, the WCC would probably form a, a union of student-athlete employees. That's what they're planning to do in the Ivy League. I suspect that's what they would do uh, in, in the WCC as well. But it's unclear what, what else this would mean. Gonzaga needs to have money to be able to pay student-athletes. But right now, it's the wild, wild west. Basketball players can ask for whatever amount of money they want. This way, there would be more transparency. There would be more structure, more compensation transparency, more understanding of where student-athletes are are getting paid, what they're asking for, what they're not asking for. I think that stands to benefit Gonzaga. But it's hard to say. It doesn't mean that suddenly Gonzaga won't be at a disadvantage with schools like Duke and Kentucky and whatever, who have a bunch more money. That doesn't mean suddenly the playing field is even. That's not really what anybody's aspiring to do, I don't think. But it does create a situation where there's at least more awareness of the the amount of money that these student athletes are making, the amount of money that they're asking for. More transparency seems good, but it is very hard to know what exactly this would mean. What it would mean for Gonzaga, what it would mean for huge, you know, football high-level programs like Alabama and, and Auburn and Clemson and whomever else. It's very unclear, but it is something that is happening. As the article I wrote, I wrote said, at the very least, amateurism is on life support. Best case scenario for amateurism, it is on life support. So this is something to keep a very close eye on as it could spell the end of amateurism as we know it. The NCAA as a ruling entity could potentially be be changing. And I know a lot of people who are scared about Gonzaga's future are are probably reading this in a way that is very negative towards Gonzaga. I'm not as confident that that's the case. It's hard to know at this point. It's just hard to know. If the Supreme Court eventually does some NIL ruling that also rules on student-athletes' status as employees, which is possible, which is possible. There is a bill in the Supreme Court right now regarding NIL laws that could include some of that. Maybe that could end up kind of pushing this in a, in a direction that could end up being at least not negative for Gonzaga, if not positive, but definitely at least not negative. 
but it's just hard to know. Anybody who tells you with absolute confidence, unless they are really plugged in to one of those entities, they just don't know either. It's a really tough time right now to project what the future of college athletics is going to look like, what the future of for what that means for Gonzaga, for their competition level, for, for all of that. It's just hard to say. But this is a big step. Make no mistake, whether we don't know what how this will change or what this will how long it'll take till something happens here. Dartmouth doing this is a big, big step, and it is something to closely monitor for anybody out there who is a fan of college athletics. That's going to wrap it up for us today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. We will, of course, be back on Thursday with a review of Gonzaga's game against Portland. We'll talk about what happened in the game. We'll get you ready for that game coming up on Saturday against the Wildcats of Kentucky as well. Thanks again to those of you who have made this this show your first listen or your first watch of the day. If you want to join us in the Discord channel, we will be chatting throughout the game tonight against the Pilots. There is a link in your show notes. It is free to join. Come hang out with us throughout the game. Thanks for listening, and until next time, as always, go Zags.